Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Real estate as a sector is recovering nicely since the Great Recession. Today, we're talking with an impressive team that has a bird's eye view of trends in real estate. We have Carl Streck and Nathan Brown, CEO and president of Mountain Seed Appraisal Management. They see real estate appraisals and values from all over the country. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hey, good to be here. Mountain Seed helps small and medium-sized financial institutions manage their appraisal departments. You can find out more about them at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. Carl, what does appraisal management mean in plain English? Yeah, so in plain English, uh, there's large banks all over the country that um, that have to order appraisals, and they they have departments that do these. So, if you went to Wells Fargo or to Bank of America and needed an appraisal, they would go to their own appraisal department and request one. But there's small banks all over the country um, that are much smaller than that. So there's about seven or eight thousand banks that don't don't have the process and and people in place to actually order the appraisal, do the appropriate level of review on the appraisal, which is required, um, and have staff to to manage that process. So so we help those smaller banks have um, the ability to look like a big bank with an appraisal department, but not have the internal costs that they have. Mm-hmm. So Carl and Nathan, what do you think that ha- is happening in, in real estate in terms of trends that would be of interest to the CEOs who are listening to the show? Yeah, so I mean, we're definitely seeing probably what people are feeling in the market. I mean, values feel feel like they're high. Um, supply um, feels like it's lower than it has been, and and demand is definitely great. But um, you know, I think what we see more than anything else, um, while we we do see the valuation piece, I think what we see from a trend is a trend just in the business community, whether it's in banking, in real estate, um, in technology, a trend towards special specialization. So you know, in our industry, um, we are. We are hyper-focused on our niche, and um, there are people that serve um, other types of lenders in the same type of industry, but we've been hyper-focused on commercial real estate. We've been hyper-focused on, on banks and credit unions, and so, so I do think that there is, is a focus on being an expert and going deep in, in where you are, and so I think that's a trend, um, just generally speaking, um, in the industry. Why do you think it's so important or more important in today's business market than it has been before? So I think technology's definitely helped. Um, I think efficiency and a focus on efficiency and the ability to do um, more with less, whether it's less people, whether it's less time. Um, so I think efficiency and a focus on that has been really important. Um, I think that the companies that we work with, especially banks, viewing the ability to outsource things to good quality companies they can do a similar process. They could do it internally, but they can do it faster. They can do it cheaper. They can do it um, with uh, more expertise. I think everybody sees that when there's an opportunity to um, to have an expert, that they should utilize that, especially in functions that they don't necessarily need to have internally. Nathan, where do you, as Mountain Seed, specialize? How would you characterize your specialty? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that we specialize in in serving community and regional banks and helping them with their commercial appraisal process. Mm. And so not so much residential or industrial or other kinds of real estate, mainly commercial. Yeah, we do some residential. I, I would say the big, the big specialization for us is in portfolio 
So a lot of companies like ours are doing residential, but they're doing it in a high volume in the secondary mortgage market. And we're doing, to the extent extent we're doing residential, we're doing it for the bank to hold on their books. And the big difference is the bank knows they're going to live with that loan for 20 years. They've got more incentive on the front end to get the appraisal right and to get the underwriting done right. And that makes a big difference in our relationship with our clients because it's more about quality. It's more about get the value right than it is about churn and burn and how many loans can we originate? And as you look at this huge body of data that you have, how many appraisals are, are going through your system, let's say, in a given period, whether or not it's a month or a year? Yeah, so we'll, we'll do a few thousand appraisals a month. Um, you know, definitely seen, seen increased growth from when we started. But, um, you know, a few thousand appraisals a month, and we probably add uh, a few hundred um, each month. So, um, so quite a few. Yeah, definitely. And as you look at this huge body of data, what conclusions are you able to draw from this, I mean, this body of data from all over the country on how much real estate is worth? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things that that data has given us the ability to do. So one is commercial real estate data. So we definitely have lots of it. Um, I think there is a gap in the market um, and, a, and a really a big void for a lot of people in commercial real estate data. So data exists in the in the secondary mortgage market, data exists in um, the commercial mortgage-backed securities market, but in that portfolio, owner-occupied real estate, um, small. So just back up, and for yeah. people who are not exactly, you know, kind of heard those terms before, if you yeah, want yeah. to just break those down for us. Yeah. So um, when Nathan talks about portfolio loans, those are loans that a bank originates and they plan to hold for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the secondary mortgage market would be when a lender originates a loan and it gets sold off to somebody else. Okay. Um, so our clients primarily hold the loans. And because they're holding them and because they're um, smaller banks, uh, they, they're originating more owner-occupied. They want to make um, sure that those don't go bad on them. That's right. So you might have a, a restaurant that uh, somebody buys a building and they're going to open a restaurant or a veterinary clinic or a doctor's office where the occupant of the building um, is also the owner of the building. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of what community regional banks lend on. And so that's a lot of what, what we focus on. So there is, there is no real great source for that data um, outside the major metropolitan areas, outside of the like big trophy properties like the skyscrapers that we all see um, in any big city. And, and we have tons of that data because that's our clientele. So I think there is a, an opportunity for us to start to aggregate that data and give it back to our clients in a usable format. We haven't started doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think that for the business owner that's listening out there today, I think that there's a, um, a view on your, your core business and understanding your customer and what are some other things that they need that, that we can provide them that's already in our service, that we're already gathering? Um, and so there's a, a data piece there on commercial real estate data that we think is going to be a big future push for, um, for our clientele. But then I think, and Nathan could probably speak to this better, I think that the, the use of data in the world, whether it's um, unique to an industry or just business intelligence data, is something that we've seen help us grow in our business. So Nathan, go ahead and speak to that. Sure. So I think there's probably some fear, particularly among small companies of business intelligence and BI gets thrown around a lot and big data. People have heard those words. I think it's accessible, more accessible to smaller and medium-sized companies than people think. 
And I think the, 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 the new effort really is to move to what's called an agile uh, business intelligence solution where you don't have one person or one department who's necessarily got control of all the data, but you have each functional head who's using the data, who has the business knowledge, uh, also has access to tools like Tableau uh, is a tool that we use that's out there, business intelligence software. They can actually train, learn themselves to manipulate that data in, in new and exciting ways. And that's really changed in the last four, five, six years as some of these tools have become um, robust, but also user-friendly enough that someone who's a director of operations or a director of sales can go in and manipulate their own data without the need for a very expensive business intelligence or data department that a Fortune 500 would have. Two questions. So the, to me, it sounds like there's this tension between the trend that you raise Carl of specialization. And then, well, now once you have all this data, all these opportunities, all these things that you could see could very quickly pull you away from your core focus. Yep. Love to hear both of your approach to, okay, so how do you evaluate and stay away from shiny new objects? Then the second question I would love to talk about is what's your approach or thinking on analyzing this myriad of data that you see and how do you make sense of it? And what are you looking for? And what would you urge CEOs listening to look for? Because yes, in every single business now with technology, we all have a proliferation of data that's available to us. What do we look for? How do we use it? How do we make sense of it? Who wants to take the, the yeah, first one? You know, I'll probably start by saying w- one place just for me personally that was really important. I know uh, Truett Cathy's got a ton of books and everybody in Atlanta is a big fan. I mean, one one of the things that, that you know, just a soundbite to pull away from that is be the best first before you're the biggest. And so I think one of the focus that you mentioned, shiny objects, one of the things that we're really focused on is being the best at our core service and letting our clients want to trust us because we did such a great job at their core appraisal management business that now we become that trusted advisor. And then when we want to move into new areas, we've already established that trust because we're the best rather than trying to juggle all the balls and catch none. And the other thing, and this is a bigger topic, we could address it a little bit later. The other thing is internally how you dis- how you separate strategy and vision from execution. And that's a big thing that I know Carl and I have worked a lot on in how do we relate to each other? How do we relate to the company? Making sure that at the same time you're doing R&D and looking 10 years ahead, you've got practical steps to gain traction in what you're doing over the next quarter, what you're doing over the next year, um, and having really thoughtful times that you're looking at strategy um, and implementing strategy so that you're not all the time going, you know, squirrel, uh, run, run, run after this, run after this object, but you've got someone. And for us, that's Carl, who's who's climbed the tree and is always looking, you know, two years, three years ahead. And some of this data stuff uh, plays into that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a risk that if you if you not only chase shiny objects, but have other people in the organization ch- chasing shiny objects, because that stuff can be fun, it can be exciting, new opportunities can be so great, but you can't do that because it, it's going to create, as we call it, organizational whiplash, where you know people are going from one thing to the next, and especially, you know, the. I love that. Can I yeah. steal that organizational whiplash? Yeah, that's fine. I'm sure we stole it from somebody else, uh, <laughs> so you can steal it and say you stole it from us. Eventually, it'll be our phrase uh, if we use it enough. But you can't have everybody running around chasing different things. And I think that um, a lot of CEOs have that issue where they don't have um, somebody great doing execution. For me, being kind of the strategist and the person that is looking out, that's talking to our clients, that's thinking about things slightly different than the day-to-day, for me to go into the company and still play that 
kind of execution role, I would have a really hard time. Maybe I'm too ADD, you know, whatever it is, but have a really hard time leading the team on the day to day because I'm so, you know, focused on where should we be? Where can we go? And you really do have to have discipline and a good relationship um, with somebody who is doing the execution of the business. Um, I think that's how Nathan and I work really well from not only different skill sets, but a, a general respect for each other. And we talk very often about where are we looking forward? Are we on the same page? You know, we had a quarterly meeting coming up a few uh, few months ago, and I was talking about some of the things that we'd be doing in the future and kind of where the vision is. And this was leading up to the quarterly as, as like a topic in our leadership team. And, you know, Nathan was saying, I think that's something we need to wait till the annual meeting because we, we can't set vision um, as the year goes on. We set vision once a year, and then we build uh, the quarterly meetings around that vision. And then we build the weekly meetings around the quarterly vision. And so I think it's really important to, to have that focus, to have the, the segregation between um, strategy and execution. And then as it goes back to your earlier point on metrics and data, I think using, if you just have great business intelligence tools and you have pretty pictures on a wall and you've got, you know, all the, you know, there's tons of technology out there that, that makes things look really cool. Um, that's all well and good. But if you don't have a, a system and a process to execute on it, then it's really worthless. And you're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time on something that's not valuable. So, so what we do, and I just alluded to it, is we set the strategy for the year. And then we boil that down to, to quarterly goals. And then on a weekly basis, we use business intelligence data to analyze our metrics and hold ourselves and our teams accountable for on a weekly basis for the quarterly goals and on a quarterly basis for the annual goals. And eventually you do that enough, you get to a 10-year goal. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but it takes a lot of discipline. Um, it takes a really good relationship between Nathan and I to, to have that respect for each other where, you know, I might have the title of CEO. And so a lot of people see that as like, you know, kind of top of the chain, but we don't see it like that. I mean, I actually report to Nathan in a lot of ways and, and, and have a respect for that. So, but it does take a unique relationship. It takes focus and diligence. And then you have to have the tools to back it up. And some of the, the data and intelligence are some of those tools. Do you look for the data first or do you have the, the metric and the thing that you're looking for and then you find the data to match or to answer the specific business question? Do you answer and understand what I'm asking? Yeah, so I think the, and Nathan, I'm sure can go into more detail, but I think the, um, the concept that resonated with me was um, if I'm trying to run the business from a desert island, and I can't communicate with anybody else, but just get, you know, a message in a bottle that I open up once a week and look at it. What are the things that I need to know on a weekly basis to make sure that the business is still running? And so that's where we started. And there were a couple of things. It's really like three things per, per department. So for us, we've got um, accounting, we've got um, sales, we have operations, and we have appraisal is a, you know, kind of a unique department for us. And we have, you know, two or three metrics for each one. And those we say are the most important metrics. Those are our leadership team metrics. And so we started with the, we started with the metrics and then, and then we go look for how do we get them? Some of those things you want to know from a desert island can be hard to get to, um, but you've got to figure out some way to understand um, that point. Mm -hmm. This is really great. I love the key takeaways that are coming out of the discussion so far. So we talked about specialization and then being the best instead of the biggest. So not chasing the shiny objects. And now we're talking about this intersection between strategy and execution. So I want to make sure that those are the key takeaways that I've, that I've captured those correctly. It's that kind of 
what you're where we're where we're going with the conversation just for, for listeners yeah. to yeah, summarize. Absolutely. Great. Um, so for those of us, uh, those who may just be joining us, we're talking with Carl Streck and Nathan Brown, CEO and president of Mountain Seed Appraisal Management, a company that helps appraisal departments and small and medium sized banks. We were talking just a little bit about strategy and execution. Of course, that's my favorite topic. I'm a strategist by trade. And a few weeks ago, we did a survey of middle market CEOs. And there's this thing that I can't seem to figure out in my work, which is CEOs don't seem to want to do the strategic planning. That word has plagued me my whole, through my whole business because you say strategic planning, their eyes glaze over, it's irrelevant, right? They think irrelevant. And when we did the survey, what we found is that actually the three-month strategy, the immediate strategy, the strategy that impacts execution is actually really important. A lot of interest there. Think about, I was in the survey, it indicated that they think about it daily. But as you get further out in time, it becomes less and less, less important. I would love for you to, to weigh in on, on that, both of you, and how you think about strategy and even language for how we CEOs might you know, myself can talk about the strategy execution in a way that's more compelling. That's a lot. I said a lot. No, it's good. I, I'll start with a real practical point, and you can tell me if this is not kind of where where you want to go. I mean, I, I, Carl and I talked a little bit about kind of how our relationship has developed. One of the things that we expect or, you know, we expect things from ourselves. One of the things in, in Carl's bucket is this idea of 100 ideas or 99 ideas a day, where his that's part of part of his That's job are 20 ideas That's a, a day lot of ideas. five ideas a day right i mean it, it's not just business where you hear this i've heard this of successful politicians and others who are running organizations that um you know and, and i'm not saying this specifically to carl but you know you may have 99 ideas 98 of them may blow the business up but one of them is the reason that you're ceo because the one is 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 the idea um so part of our relationship and the value that i think i bring to the table is Carl and I talk a lot. We talk every morning. We have same page meetings. And part of, part of the benefit of that, I would hope, and Carl can weigh in, is that he has the opportunity to bounce these ideas off of me through an execution lens, through a, through a more detailed, perhaps, projection lens of, hey, we've already got to get this synthesized into a business plan. But he's free to think of these 99 ideas a day. Um, where do we need to be 10 years, 20 years, and have some immediate feedback and filtering of where's the one idea and get some, some immediate execution feedback. So then we come up on that next annual meeting where we're going to say, what's the most important strategic plan for the next year? We've already sort of pre-filtered some of that and done some work because it takes a lot of time and it's hard to just sit down and say, this is the 30 minutes and I'm going to have my brilliant idea in the next 30 minutes. But if you're, if you're living life and you have the ability to kind of be thinking strategically and have somebody to filter those ideas, um, you know, we can kind of get down to, to the one. And then when we go into the, into the, Hey, how are we going to get this translated into a business plan? Carl gets to stay in the visioneering role. Um, and then there's help and support in the organization through my role of how that gets translated into a business plan. So is a big part of your job, like swatting away the flies, like, and then plucking out the, the one that, that you like? <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's that's probably a little, you know, I think that probably undervalues Carl's like, contributions to the organization. But I mean, yeah, in, in a in a way, I mean, I think I think there's, uh, you know, you could characterize it like that. Be interested to hear Carl's thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think admittedly, uh, you always know that there's as an entrepreneur, there's there's hundreds of ideas that that come come through your mind every day. And some of them are terrible ideas. They sound good at the time. 
to have a resource to be able to talk through them. Especially there's, there's different types. I think uh, Peter Drucker was talking through this in one of his books, but there's different types of learners. You know, I find myself as a learner when I'm speaking to other people. And so talking through things really helps me get a better understanding of my ideas and clarify them and put some context around them. And so I think that, you know, every, every day on the way into work, um, Nathan and I talk, we talk about some of these ideas and, you know, maybe, maybe it's less of swatting flies and more of like a therapist. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but we, we do go through that. And then, and then I also think on the, on the strategy piece, your original question was, you know, so many CEOs think strategy, long-term strategy is a bother or never find time for it or things like that. So I think there is a, there's a balance between the urgent, and the important, um, and you have to have, if you're the, if you're the only person that's involved in the organization on both strategy and execution, it's very easy to fall into that weekly plan, that monthly plan, that quarterly plan, and to deal with the urgent to find yourself. I mean, we hear this all the time, putting out fires all day, and that's not the way to run a business, you know, and you will always, if that's your role, you will always be putting out fires all day because you'll never have time to think about, well, gosh, how do I, you know, install a fire sprinkler or something so that I'm not the one doing it. But I think that when you step back and you're able to um, to think long term, to think strategically, to get to know your clients, um, you can stay in touch with you know where are we headed, where do we need to be headed. I mean, in our industry, things that we'll have to think about if we're looking at a ten year plan is real estate cycles happen in seven years, and so you know what does our business look like if we have another real estate cycle? And if you're just doing the day to day blocking and tackling, then you know you can stumble upon a downturn and not be prepared. And so, sorry, yeah. this is just so juicy. Do you know where we are in the cycle right now? I don't have a clue. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe, happy. you know, I mean, I'm sure I can make something up. There's probably some arguments for, you know, we're close, we're far away. But, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I'm probably not the best one to answer that. Okay. Um, but, I, but I also think that as you start to think about the strategic plan, as you start to think about where we headed, I think there's a huge organizational um, positive impact because everybody wants to believe in something. And so as you move through the organization, if you're, if you're in a company that's, that's, you know, visionless, that you don't know where you're headed, that you ask somebody in the hallways, you know, what are we here for? What are we doing? That's not a company that you're A, going to be able to, to hire good employees, but definitely not be able to retain good employees. And so we find it really important that, that our mission, our, our values or non-negotiables that you have in the company are super critical and they're communicated, they're shared by all, you know, everybody knows that, Hey, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I mean, I had a, one of our sales guys the other day who just started, he's two months in, he sent me like a, a, a sports video or something like that. And I said, Hey, I'm not a sports guy. Maybe I shouldn't say that in South. And he said, no, the video is about that. Um, we're here for something bigger than ourselves. And it's just like our company, you know, even a couple of weeks in seeing that, Hey, we have a purpose. We're headed somewhere and you guys are on the boat and you, and it wasn't easy to get on the boat, but we're all here. We're rowing in the same direction and we're going somewhere. And I think that that's something people can believe in. And if you don't take time to, um, to focus on that strategic vision and the mission and the values and some of those kind of touchy feely things. I mean, I think a lot of Lincioni's, um, books talk about how so many companies are afraid to go to the touchy feely because they mm -hmm. think, well, that's nice, but especially big companies, that's nice for you startups and, you know, people like that, but not, you know, I don't know that that really drives shareholder value. And there's a lot of arguments that, that it does. But when you go to that place of emotion, when you go to that place of vision, of strategy, then you really start to build a team. You really start to get people 
um, that that are that are cheering you on and and heading the right direction with you because they want to, not because they have to. They're not working necessarily for a paycheck. Although I'm sure if we all quit quit, quit getting paid, uh, we might do something else. But they're there because they want to be there, mm. um, and that's a place that I want to work, and that's a place that Nathan wants to work. And why, you know, I don't want to be at a job that's terrible. One way is that you have no idea where you're going. Nathan, what would you recommend as best practice, having seen your experience at Mountain Seed and other companies? Because I know you, the companies in YPO. What's your 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 recommendation for how much time? And you talked about interval, which I think is great. You know, you talked about the the monthly and the weekly and the conversations that you have. How much time do you think should be spent, ideally? management time on strategic planning? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. First of all, I think... Yeah, I'm you, interested in this one too. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> Just let a, me know. <laughs> it's a great question. It's a little hard to quantify, but, but I'll start by saying, I think you've got to have an organization that values, even though you can't always count, you know, we love things in business that you can count. And I think it's part of the reason that CEOs tend to not put a lot of time into vision because and into things like culture. I mean, one of the, the big values that I think Carl brings to the table is just pushing the organization outside of its comfort zone, pushing individuals outside of its comfort zone, doing some of this culture stuff, um, thinking about where we're going to be five or 10 years from now. But it's hard to, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm being strategic and having meetings and thinking about the future, it's hard to say I've, I've done X. Um, Carl also right now has a, has a more tactical role in sales and it's really easy to count a pipeline or to look at, you know, so you've got to get a, you've got to have an organization that values um, some of that time, even though you can't count it. So that's, that's the first piece that you've got to, you've got to recognize that there's a value there. Um, and then the second piece is, I think, I think it could be essentially someone's full-time job in the CEO piece. Um, I, I believe in a world where uh, the CEO could spend, um, you know, certainly for our, I mean, I'll say specifically for our organization, I can see a world where when Carl is tactically out of some of his sales roles, and that's a really common thing, you know, businesses our size to have someone who's CEO and then also running sales. I can see a world where Carl's time is spent on strategic planning, you know, a couple key areas. I mean, one is strategic planning. One is the culture stuff that Carl started to go in, being that kind of the same vision casting that we would do for where does the business need to be strategically? What areas do we need to be in? What new products do we need to be in? But also internally focused on how, you know, from a high view like a branding book, we were talking about this, but a culture book, right? I mean, we've seen it from, you know, Quicken Loans and others who have founders or chairmen who are really involved in what should the culture look like around here? Because the reality is, as much as I, you know, I'm kind of a nerd and an introvert, as much as I love to count things and do finance things and administrate things, the business wouldn't be where it is without Carl pushing me outside of my comfort zone, pushing the organization outside of its comfort zone, um, and really kind of setting the path for our culture. I think when you think about strategy and being a full-time job, I think that there's there's some pieces of it that are a means to an end. So, so really valuable pieces that I can do that help the organization that are kind of more traditional CEO type responsibilities. So working with big clients, working with large vendors, working with um, partnerships, other strategic partners. So those are all kind of traditional roles that that a CEO would play. But I think that that all plays a part into strategy. So you can't cast the vision, you can't find the strategy, you can't know where you're going until you start to understand your stakeholders, your constituents. Um, and so meeting with big clients, one of, the, one of the great benefits of that is they have a relationship and 
Um, you know, they feel like they know the business that they're, you know, they're getting special treatment, things like that. But the, the ancillary benefit, or, you know, maybe one of the others ancillary is I'm able to see where is their head? Where are they headed? Where do they think they need to be? And then being able to tease some of those things out from a strategy standpoint. Um, I think I remember hearing, um, the head of innovation or one of the groups at Disney talking, and they said they used to start when they were building a new, designing a new part of their parks, they used to go interview all their people and ask them what would they like in their park. And they realized that that was not a good way to do it because the only thing that their, that their guests could say was something they, they'd experienced before. And so what they really had to do was understand their guests, get to know them, get to know what they like. And then when they would come out with a new design, everybody would walk in and say, wow, this is amazing. I could have never thought of this. And so one of the things that I think we can do as an organization and that other CEOs listening can do is to really get to know your stakeholders, get to know your employees, get to know your customers, really get to understand who they are. Because we'll have, I mean, there's a, and this is, I'll go into a technical point, but there's a bigger point here. Um, there's a, um, an alternative valuation product um, in the appraisal world called an evaluation. And so every bank says, we need somebody that can help us with evaluations. And it's kind of a, there's a long story here, but it's not a product that is really easily accessible. It's not a great product, um, but that's what they say that they want. But then when you get to know them, you realize, well, that's actually not what they want. They think they want that, but what they really need is this or that. They really need something else. And the only thing they can articulate is this is the product we want because it's something they've seen before. But once you get to know them, you get to know their needs, you get to under understand their pain points, then you can come to them with a solution that they never thought of. And I think that's where you go from kind of the expected you know, vendor relationship to really wowing people. And then they say, man, you guys are bringing me things I just, I could have never imagined. I think that's a huge difference. So when you think about what's the value of strategy, I mean, early on we had a, we had a partner and he said, we were talking about strategy and, and he said, strategy, strategy is a load of, you know, you know, I, I think we saw the world a little bit differently and spent a lot of time on, on strategy, but a lot of people come to the table with, you know, that's a waste of time. But when you start to look at the pieces that build the strategy and then what you can come up with at the other end, if I believe that if you want to build a world-class organization, you've got to be understanding your customers and then come out with something that doesn't exist. Mm, great. Well, you talked a little bit, both of you, about where you're thinking about taking Mountain Seed. In this last, these last few moments, I would love to know if there's anything new or exciting happening in, in the business that you want to share with the, the other CEOs who are listening to the show. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, I was even telling Nathan this morning, I think one of the things that, that we can do a great job at and that everybody can do a great job at is, you know, you, I think people take the perspective of focusing on um, their employees or focusing on their customers. Um, I think there's another element of, for us in our business, of really focusing on um, being the best place to work, but not necess not only for our employees, but for our vendors as well. Because, you know, we have critical vendor relationships. And I think that um, from where we're headed, is, you know, be, how do we be the best with all of our constituents? And I think that's really important. And then the other thing that I think is, is really near and dear to our, our hearts that, that I'd love to challenge everybody out, out there with, um, we've talked a lot about vision and where we're headed and all this stuff, but, but really the concept of giving, giving people something that they can believe in, because we always struggled as a business with what is, you know, what's the purpose of a business? What's the mission? And we read all these books that talked about we needed a mission and, and we didn't understand it. How does a business have a mission? Um, and then what we, where, where we came to, and yes, we do, 
we, we have changed our thinking on that. Um, what we came to is, you know, one of the things we can do um, is provide opportunity to people. Mm. And so providing opportunity at Mountain Seed takes on a variety of different forms. But um, but one of the things we've done in the past is we've developed a relationship with um, with one of your prior guests, Bruce Deal at City of Refuge. And, and we've hired... Love Bruce. Great guy, great organization. And so we've been able to to hire and train single homeless moms from from the shelter down there and give them opportunity. There's been great stories, there's been bad stories and everything in between, but that's that's okay because it still aligns with the mission. And it doesn't just mean, you know, working at City of Refuge, it means thinking about how do we provide opportunity for everybody organizational wide, um, whether it's the single mom that works from home for us and she, you know, wants the the job at Mountain Seed, but she needs to work remotely. And so how do we do that? How do we provide opportunity for her? And so I challenge everybody in their business to think about what am I doing this for? Especially, I mean, like, like Mountain Seed, we don't have investors, we have no meaningful debt. And so we can think about, you know, what's the point of this all? Mm. You know, are we just doing it for financial success? Are we just doing it for, you know, picture that we can, you know, have in the paper or whatever it is? Are we doing this for something greater than ourselves? And, and I think that that's our viewpoint here is um, we have the, a unique opportunity to build something that's special. Uh, we have a unique opportunity. You already have. Well, you know, and, and there's more to come, but, but I hope that everybody thinks about their own business and says, and maybe it's, you know, around the strategy element, like where are we headed and why? Um, I think the, the kind of Simon Sinek concept of, of, you know, start with why has been really popular, but I think it's a great point of, you know, why am I doing this? And if I'm just, you know, just going through the motions every single day for, you know, for my own personal benefit or, you know, for some prideful motivation or whatever it is, then I think we all should rethink that. And I think that every business can serve some greater purpose, whether it's a, a social purpose, whether it's, um, you know, helping your people, but, but have some sort of purpose or mission that, that you can believe in. And I think the worst thing is to, to make something up just for the purpose of having a purpose. It sounds silly, but a lot of people, you know, well, we heard we need a purpose. And so let's make one. And, and it feels contrived. It's gotta, gotta come out of you and figure out what am I here for? What am I doing? And then integrate that in the organization. Maybe I'll just say one quick thing, I, just a personal experience. We started off a process two or three years ago, um, or maybe two years ago, by saying, how much vision does this organization really need? And, and we got it flat wrong. I mean, we said, hey, we're an, we're an appraisal management business. We serve community and regional banks. Um, you know, this is tactical. It's how many beans can we count? How many days can we get the appraisal turned around in? And we said, you know, we don't need that much vision. And essentially, we'll have one person who's kind of the integrator, sort of my role, the, the, the president execution role. And we really don't feel like we need a lot of vision. And, and some of this stuff is soft, but I can tell you that not only does it not only is it a great place to go to work, but we are more financially successful as a result of all of these efforts. I mean, we've, we always say broke companies don't help anybody, right? But um, there, there, is a, there is a real tangible benefit that you can count to getting this right on the vision side and, and the mission side. And you, know, you hear it play out and you read the books and you can be cynical about it, particularly if you spend a lot of time going to a bunch of school like I did and learn how to count things. And, you know, it, it, it can be, could be tough to you go down to, that. You went to good school. You know, it's, it's tough. And he knows how to count things. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's tough sometimes to, to allocate value to things that are softer. But, but I can just tell you that we got it wrong. We've got it right now. Carl's a big part of that. And, and there is a market shift in our business. 
having Carl um, be as engaged as he is and focused as he is on on mission and on vision. And and we would not be where we are, nor would I be as excited about where we'll be two years from now, three years from now, ten years from now, um, absent Carl's involvement. And I think you you organizations have to recognize the importance of that. They have to carve it out. And, and I'm not paying them to say that. I promise. Have, I know. Have, have the great, whole have man. the whole organization be supporting that person and, and, and their ability to set that vision because that is the company you want to work for. If you go to a company and they say, you know, and they say like we did, hey, we're a company that doesn't need a lot of vision, that's not where you want to be. Mm. Thank you so much for a great show today, uh, Carl, and, Carl and Nathan. And thank you to everyone listening for joining us on CEO Exclusive. So on today's show, we had Mountain Scene Appraisal Management, Carl Streck and Nathan Brown, the CEO and president We talked a lot about real estate trends and then also the value of strategy, execution, and high-level thinking. On Thursday, you can check out our blog where we'll give you a recap of the key takeaways from today's show. To find that, find out more about Carl and Nathan, listen to past shows, go to CEOExclusiveRadio.com. I'm Soyini Koch. Until next time, have a great week. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.